0: We are in the book of Ruth. That is our eighth book of Scripture. We've been through chapter one. And we have met, if you will, the damsels in distress. We've read of a girl named Pleasant who's married to a guy named My God is King. My God is King is a great name for a guy during a time we read it's the season or the period of the judges when there is no king in Israel and everyone does what is right in their own eyes. So, during the time that there is no king, which God should be, there is a man named my God is king El is married to a girl named Pleasant who has two sons named Sick and Tired, living in a town called House of Bread. Bethlehem. We read that there is a famine, so there's no bread in the house of bread, so the family, husband and wife, and the two sons go to Moab, which is today's Jordan, just the country of Jordan the east side of the Jordan River. And they are there for a decade, ten years. In those ten years, Pleasant, or we might say Naomi, loses her husband, he passes away. And to make matters worse, even in the midst of that, though her sons have married, both both sick and tired have passed away too. Now, Naomi is left with her two daughters-in-law. One from sick and one from tired. One's name is Orpa, which means gazelle or fawn. The other one's name is Rut, which means friend. And she looks and she gives them the way out. Because at marriage, you are basically, as a daughter, adopted into a new family. You carry on their surname. You carry on their honor or dishonor. You are now investing in more than just a man. You are now part of a new family. And Naomi turns to these two Moabite women who are great, 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 great grandchildren, if you will, from a lot, and gives them an easy way out. Go back to your mother's. If you really want to bail on this, I understand your position. I'm trying to be understanding. Go ahead. Just head home. I don't have any sons left in me. Why would you want to stick around with me anyways? I'm just basically, at this point, baggage. And fawn fawns. She heads back to her mother. I mean, after a play, of saying, no, I'll go with you. She goes, no, go ahead. And she heads. But Ruth, on the other hand... He says, look it, I committed for life and I mean it. Somehow in it, this Moabite girl recognizes that this is so much more than just an agreement. This is a covenant. And a covenant really can only be broken by death. So in light of that, she says, look it, I'm committed to this family. I've been part of it. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your God's my God. My God. Were you, Were you When I die, I want to be buried next to you. I'm, I'm part of your family. She's just made an open allegiance, if you will, though God still calls her a Moabitess in this. Uh, it's interesting, though. She really now forsakes Moab for this. And now they head back to Bethlehem because she hears the rumors that bread has returned to the house of bread. As she returns back, the people are excited, which tells us that Naomi really lived up to her name. People were very excited to see her. They were expecting Pleasant to show up. And they were quite excited about it. Naomi does not return the way they expected, with husband and two sons. But instead, she just shows up with a Moabite girl. And worse yet, a very bad attitude. And as the people are welcoming her in, she looks and the people seem to say, is this really pleasant? Is this Naomi? And she says, don't call me that. I am not going to be defined anymore by those pleasantries. The Almighty has dealt against me. Call me Mara. And Mara means bitter." So she says, The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Very sad. She doesn't, I mean, she obviously sees that God has the power, all the power in the world, much like us. She sees that God has the power to do whatever he wants. And she's having a hard time now not reconciling his power, but his personality. How could a God with all this power allow all of this grief in my life? I don't get it. I don't understand all this hardship. I don't understand these troubles, losing my husband and both of my boys. And at a time like that, it's easy to overlook the, the actual blessings that are in front of you, because all you can see is the loss of the things you used to have. We don't read in anywhere in this, but hey, look on the bright side. At least I still have this girl that's committed. We don't read any of that. All we read is this one who is almighty, who had the power to do anything, didn't do what I was hoping, but he did completely opposite, and now my life is bitter. We ended the chapter now with just two women, Naomi, or if you will, Mara. God doesn't call her Mara. God's going to call her Naomi still. And this girl, Ruth, friend. And they come back and they're really jilted. Well, mom is. She's really jilted. She's really jilted because she's had a really rough time to watch the three men in your life pass away like that. And we read in the last verse of chapter 1, Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, now, they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And The beginning of the barley harvest starts off our holiday season. Our holiday season among the Jewish people begins with Passover, which, by the way, is just about at the season we're in right now, with the Feast of First Fruits. The first fruits are the first signs of the harvest, and the first signs of the harvest is the barley harvest. That's the early harvest. Passover will be followed 50 days later by the celebration of the first great harvest that will be barley. And then ultimately, in the first fruits, they take the best of their grain, stomp it into the ground, and say, As this first fruits is, may so then the rest of the harvest be. And we read, Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus is our first fruits. And as he was stomped into the ground, but rose again, so we are as the harvest. We'll read this book takes place from then this season now. Chapters two through four. Through to the time of the wheat harvest and the wheat harvest is the last of the three great harvests. The harvest are or, or, three great feasts. The feast of ingathering, gathering and gathering is the feast of tabernacles. When the last of the great harvests have taken place. Everything is gathered in its piles and people separate. And it is the best time to get married. And the reason for that is because now you have the season of tribulation, the winter when it just rains and there's not much to do but wait. But we are here at the beginning of that. In the time now, March, April. And they have now shown up back in Bethlehem. Naomi now calling herself Mara Bitter. And at we, read, have, we don't read anywhere has ever been to Bethlehem before. So pray with me and let's get into chapter 2. Lord, for the sweetness of your presence, for the goodness of your word, for this profound and gorgeous love story, speak to us now. Let our hearts be readied. Anoint me, Lord, so that I could be Your servant, Your vessel in this time. And make us, Lord, usable to You. Not in spite of us, but rather in its contrary. Because of our surrender to You, Lord, use us in profound ways now, we pray. And I pray, Lord, You would make this time perfect time spent. In Jesus' name. Amen. Say tonight as I would any night, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Let the Scripture be your final saying. Tonight we're going to meet the hero of the story, if you will. We left things in a pretty rough spot. We have the two girls now, mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. And we read in verse 1, There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. Boaz, by the way, means strength, to be strong, to be established, or quickness. And of course, those things are all linked together. It is important to recognize, to redeem in proper redemption. The word for redeemer is the word gaol in the Hebrew. There were three things that were required. In regards to that was one is he had to be, if you will, capable. For him to be capable of redemption, he had to be a blood relative. He had to be one of their own. Redemption could not take place from a stranger because land was involved and you never wanted the tribes to forfeit their property. So if we were all of the tribe of Asher... And, and the man had passed away and there was no one left, a relative from the tribe of Asher could step in, because that way the property would remain part of Asher. This, of course, is why we read in Hebrews 2.14, as Jesus is our ultimate Redeemer. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken in flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. You see, the reason why Jesus, why God had to come in the flesh is to be our Redeemer. He had to be of our type, of our kind. And so Jesus makes the choice to be a man. In this, we read he had to be. There were three things required. One is he had to be capable. The second is he had to be able. To be able means that he had to be, in that case, with enough riches or wealth to be able to pay the debt. In which case, we look at this, and the first thing we read is that there is a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth. Notice, in the first case, He is capable because he qualifies as a relative. Second, he is a man of great wealth, so we assume he has what it takes to cover the cost. We read that Jesus, by the way, also able to pay our debt in Colossians 2.14 as having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. In 1 Corinthians 6.20, we read, We were bought at a price. We read in Acts 20, verse 28, About the church of God which Jesus purchased with his own blood. Obviously, as the reader of the story, we recognize already two of the three things have already qualified and we haven't gotten past our first verse. He is clearly capable, qualified as a relative. He is clearly able. He is wealthy. The only other thing left is, is he willing? And I can't help but think of the leper that approaches Jesus in Matthew 8. Who looks at Jesus and doesn't doubt his power, but rather says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And perhaps for us too, don't we deal with that? I mean, if we know that God is out there, and we do, then we know that He's all powerful. He's Almighty. And if He's Almighty, the question is not whether He is capable, whether He is able. The only question left is, is He willing? And God gives us this story in the midst of spiritual pandemonium to let us know He's very serious about this. So, verse two: Ruth says to the Ruth, the Moabitess, says to Naomi. Notice God refuses to call her Mara. He refuses to accept the fact that he's dealt bitterly with her because he really hasn't. He's setting her up for a greater thing altogether. Please let me go into a field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. In Leviticus chapter 19, God had a plan for the poor and for the stranger alike. And the plan was simple. If you were to harvest, remember we lived in an agrarian culture, once we planted and we harvested, you were only allowed to harvest your field once. And you were not allowed to harvest your corners. It says in Leviticus 19, verse 9, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings, that's what's left over, of your harvest, and you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape from your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger alike. I am the Lord your God. Now, this was not something that was actually permitted for the in Moab. This was not a law that was required in Moab. But somewhere in all of this, God had allowed provision. And I do really like this because God's provision said, I'm not going to give you a handout. I'm going to give you a hand up. If you really are poor, you can work for it. If you really are a stranger, you can work for it. And the great thing about gleaning is, is that you can glean without having to be able to communicate. What if you couldn't speak the language well and you kind of stumble in? What if you really weren't familiar with that many things about the culture? Well, the moment you say, well, how do I get a job here? I can't even speak with the people yet. How do I? Well, you could say, well, look, here's the good news. You come during the harvest time and you can go. Now, you couldn't, by the way, start carrying everything into big sacks. But what you could do was take what you could possibly eat. So it wasn't like you could, you know, come in with handfuls of wheelbarrows or back up a lorry and start cleaning up after people. But what you could do is make sure that if you were there each day, you could get your daily bread. And what I love about this is that God is interested in more than just helping a guy out. He's interested in keeping a guy's dignity. The idea where we don't just sit and wait for somebody else to get up and give it to us, but rather we actually say, well, if there is an opportunity, I want to take it. And there's a big difference between a person who's looking for an opportunity and a person who's just really looking for a handout. When people used to come to the church back in California, we always gave them the opportunity to do something. Now, what they were capable of. Sometimes that was mop a floor that may not even necessarily have needed mopping as greatly as it could have, but just giving them a chance to do something, sweeping the parking lot weeding something, carrying stuff from one place to another. We always try to give someone some kind of work so they knew at the end of it all that they didn't feel like, well, I'll pay you back, because lots of people say that, but nobody ever does. You know, hey, give me the money, I'll pay you back later. Well, why even lie? Why? How about this? Why don't you work the day with us, and then when you're done with the day, you receive the wage, and you've gotten honor and dignity for it. And the end of it all. And when a man is able to do that, sometimes what you find is some people were just blown away at the fact that, you know what, thank you that I was able to be a man for my family today, for instance. And God had provided them. We just took that, really, to be honest, from what we were looking at here. It wasn't like you, you know, you bought, you boxed it up or you bagged it up and then went looking for homeless people. What you really did is you gave them an opportunity to actually come and get it, but they had to work it themselves. In this case, Ruth is seizing that opportunity and she says, well, look at you know, mom, there's really not much we can do here. But there seems to be this provision. Why don't I go out for us? Verse three, it says, and we won't develop every verse, but we need to kind of get our context. Verse three, it says, then she left. That's Ruth going to, to glean. And she went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field that belonged to Boaz, belonging to Boaz who was of the family, I remind you, of Elimelech. Now, here she is. Now, notice, by the way, what it tells us, and it may be easy to miss, is that she didn't start in Boaz's field. She just started gleaning in this big, massive area, and she happened to come into, while she was gleaning, happened to come into Boaz's field. And that is really important for me as I look at this as a Christian. Because as I look at this as a Christian, I have to start asking me a couple questions. Because we are about to meet now on stage, if you will, Boaz. We're about to meet the hero of the story. But as we're about to meet the hero of the story, the question I'm asking is, is as you step into another person's field, like Boaz, would there be any noticeable difference? If somebody were to go door to door, and actually, for whatever strange reason in our culture, we actually allowed, when they knocked the door, we had to let them in. And so they knock on two doors before yours, then they knock on the door next door, and then they knock on yours. And in each case, they have to stop in. And let's say that they were required, like in a culture like this, you were required to give them a cup of tea. Would there be any difference if they were to come to your house than the two houses prior? Would there be any difference in the way that you behaved with them? Would there be any difference in the way that they saw you react with the people in your house? Would they see any difference in the fact that you would only go what was required by law of you as well as the others? Or would you take a step beyond that? Would they see warmth? Would they see care? Would they see the Lord? If a total stranger were to happen into your field, would it be so obviously different from the rest of them that they would think, what kind of field is this? And I remind you, this girl is not Israeli. This girl is a Moabite. So she's trying to figure out, we don't know how much time has taken place except for that they've come during the barley harvest. So it may have seemed like it could have been the next day. And understand, this girl is a newbie. She is new to town. So everything that she's seeing is like a first-time experience with a city or from coming from a country like Moab, which would have at one point or even during this time declared Israel to be their enemy, kind of like you might say of Jordan today. Imagine if the situation were today with the same boundary lines. Well, what happens is a woman goes to Jordan with you know her two sons and her husband, the husband and sons die, but she has these two daughters in law She comes back with a Jordanian girl, and when the Jordanian girl crosses the Jordan River. Everything now is a new country, and she's trying to gather information about, well, what's Israel really like? I've been told a lot of things, because coming from a Moabite background, we've been told some things in regards to some prejudices. We've been told some things about this is how people treat each other, this is how they are. you know. And so I'm trying to figure out whether this is for real. And So she's really analyzing this information, and she's looking. And imagine she goes through the first field, and it's cool because the first thing she gets to say is, well, I get to work the field. That's kind of cool. I'm going to get to be able to, I'm not totally helpless in this particular culture. That's a good thing. I can help my mother-in-law. So she starts to go, but now when she heads into this field, it seems like things are really different. And my prayer is the way that we see this happen here with our hero, let it be so in our own homes. So that if someone who really were to come and peek, Now, a foreigner for us doesn't have to be somebody from Moab, and it doesn't have to be somebody that isn't British, but it would be somebody that doesn't know Jesus. Now, maybe they've been to church. Maybe they've been and had some form of religious experience. But they're coming to your field for whatever period of time you have it whatever period of time that the Lord allows us to share that same field. And during that time, they are gathering information about the God of this field, and they're going to learn it from the landlord. So here she is, and she happens upon. So we read in this, it isn't like she's like, hmm, she made any conscious choice to step into Boaz's field. She doesn't know him from anyone else. She just basically is gleaning, and as she does, she crosses some Invisible border, but God knows she is now in Boaz's territory. Verse 4 tells us, and now we meet our hero. Now behold, you know what that means, right? It means stop everything else and just focus on this. Boaz came from Bethlehem, said to the reapers, and here's his first sentence, the Lord be with you. And then it says, and they answered him, The Lord bless you, boss. Well, in this case, the Lord bless you. Now, imagine, if you will, somebody comes to your house. They've gone door to door selling cookies. They've gone to the apartments, and then in our case, the scout house and such. And then they come over. Shantae sees them at the door, lets them in, and says, Well, come on in, tell us about your cookies. Why don't we make you some tea? And, you know, and some young gal is there trying to sell her cookies. And, and, and Tay's like, you know what, hey, let's sit and talk for a moment. And then I come walking in the house, and she doesn't know this house is a godly house, is a Christian house or whatever. Imagine what she would see the moment I walk in. Would she see something like that? Would she see that with you? She's like, hey, God bless you, everybody. You know, and it just seems like a 1940s film at this moment, doesn't it? It's surreal, but it shouldn't be surreal in our homes. It's only surreal because we're used to the world around us that is filthy and completely impure and that our houses should be a place of purity and detox. And imagine they come in and like, "Hey kids, I love you." And, "Hey sweetheart to my wife," and all that and then she imagine this girl observing this, going, "This is a freaky house. I don't know what to do with." Well, that's what she's understand, That's what Ruth is observing here. What would it be like to be Ruth? And imagine how weird this would be. This is not Moabitis. Uh This isn't like Moabite society here. Hey, the Lord be with you guys. And it's one thing when the boss says that, but the workers go like, yeah, boss. And then they turn around, that jerk, I can't believe it. You know, I think we know how that is with work sometimes. But what we read is that the people are really happy to be working. What we read is, yeah, you too, boss. That'd be great. Hey, the Lord bless you, boss. And you can see her almost rubbing her eyes, going, what in the world's going on here? But now, Boaz, we read, verse 5, said to the servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whoa, 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 whoa. Whose young lady is that? Notice he doesn't just say, What's her name? Who is she? But who, who does this girl, literally, who does this girl belong to? So the servant who was in charge of the reaper said, well, this is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Now, notice it doesn't say her name's Ruth here. What well, we just know is she's a foreigner. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. That tells me a lot about her. If I'm trying to gather information about what I understand about Ruth up to this point, consider this. I mean, imagine the guy's kind of walking and he's kind of checking things. And by the way, this tells me that whether, whether Boaz is really aware of who's working in his field. Have you noticed that? I mean, Boaz is in a place where he really is aware that there's a newbie. So he's kind of walking and he's like, hey, the Lord bless you guys. Hey, God be with you. And they're like, "Ah, oh, God bless you too, boss. So he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Who that? Who does she belong to? And the servant says, hey, well, that's that, that's that foreigner. That's that foreign girl. She came back, remember, with, remember with pleasant, and uh, we all expected her, but she really wasn't very pleasant when she came back. But remember that girl that kind of really stuck with her anyways? And it says, hey, so she has worked from the morning until noon, and then somewhere in it really rested. She needed to rest, but then she didn't go home. She went back and worked again. And imagine at that point, I think, well, this girl is a, has a good work ethic. I mean, you work a little bit and you get tired. Hey, you learn a lot about a person or what they do once they get tired. For many people, the moment they get tired, they're done for the day. All right, I'm tired. That's it. You know, I worked a little bit. Whew, OK, got a little bit of food. We're good. And I'm done. Oh, no, no, no. In this case, what you find is she worked and she was like, I need a rest. And she rested and she's like, all right, the reason I need a rest is I want to get back out there and do some more of this. Which tells us that she wasn't just getting food for herself. She was making sure she was taking care of her mother-in-law. So he kind of looks at this. And imagine. Now, ladies, let me ask you a question. What do you think she looks like at this moment? Do you think she's in her best look? What do you think her hair looks like? Do you think she's got any makeup on at this moment? Do you think she's clean at this moment? Do you think she smells good at this moment? She has fresh sweat and old sweat on her. The sweat from the morning that she rested. And then the sweat from the afternoon because she's been out there again. She smells bad. What could possibly draw Boaz to this girl compared to today? Who she was. And ladies if you want a man to love you for who you are, you might want to make sure that that is what they're uh, what you're advertising. Guys the same. In our situation here, clearly her reputation precedes her smell, and her character seems to override her lack of presentation. Who is that? This is the girl who came back Committed with Naomi. And she's been working here. Man, you, she's been working here all day. Now, let's say that you played the role for the moment of the helper, the person who was serving Boaz. Look at what you would observe. Verse 8. Look at Boaz's first words to Ruth. Boaz says to Ruth, so after he learns who she is, he comes directly to her and he wants a personal relationship with her. And he says, will you listen, my daughter, or you will listen, will you not, my daughter? The first question that is asked, the first thing he comes to her with is a question. Are you really willing to listen? Interesting, by the way, because the word is the word Shema. Many of you might be familiar with that word because that is the word that is used in Deuteronomy 6 when God says, Hear, O Israel. The Lord God is one. Love me with all your heart, soul, and strength. That's what I really want, your love. And it's the same word that's used here. Well, what if you weren't willing to listen? What would you be missing? Well, according to this, you would be missing his offer. He says, well, you you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field in which they weep and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Can I say it in three simple statements? If you could hear his heart, I would hear him say, Be here and be near me. Be here and be safe. Haven't I commanded the men to stay away from you? Be here and be refreshed. Hey, anytime you're thirsty, come to the water. It's there for you. She doesn't get that kind of offer. I mean, immediately, this field is clearly different from every field she's been in. This community, very different from any community she's been in. When a person comes in who doesn't know Jesus and comes into this church, do they see a different field here? Do they see the, hey, the Lord bless you. Hey, bless you too, Pastor Tony. Do they see, hey, you know what? Come and be a part of this. Listen, the Lord calls you to come in and be near him. When you start to study other religions, and not that you need to, but if you were to, what you'll discover, at least if you're anything like me, is that people worship their gods, if you will, to keep them away. Because he's angry or she or whatever is vindictive or whatever. And you do it so that somehow maybe you'll get something good out of it and they're angry so you want to keep them away anyways. We don't want to even worship God to draw them near. We worship God because he is near and because he's good. And because he's good, we can actually say, yes, thank you, God. And this is as the hero, like our Lord, who says, "Look at, be here with me, and just be near. Not be somewhere in the far corner, and maybe I'll talk to you someday. But be near me, and be safe, and be refreshed." But he called her daughter, and that's the way a father is with his children. Come here and be with me, and be safe, and be refreshed. Her response, by the way, is in verse 10. She fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? Notice her question is why. Why do you even show me grace? But that's a crazy question. Because the reason someone shows you grace Could never be because of something you've done, because otherwise it wouldn't be grace. Grace is a gift. Why are you being so kind to me, so good to me? To be honest, because they are good and kind. And nobody is better and nobody is kinder than our God. It was David who said, when I consider the work of your fingers, the sun and the moon and the stars that you have made. I wonder who is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you give him any attention at all. You made him little lower than the angels, but you crown him with glory and honor. Oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. David's like, man, when I look at how huge everything is, I think, man, why in the world do you give me even the time of day? And she's in that same place. And I pray we would be blown away like that. Do you remember when you were? When it was just amazing? It was, you were just amazed that God would actually know your name and want you? She's like, look at. Why in the world would you even care? I'm a foreigner. You're not supposed to like me. I'm an outsider. I don't belong here. Verse 11 says, Boaz answered and he said to her, It's been reported to me all that you have done for your mother in law since the death of your husband and how you left your father and mother and in the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you didn't know before. You've come, I mean, what I hear about you is, a, is pretty impressive. What I learned is that you have really committed to this family. That's what I've heard. You've really committed to it. And because you've really committed to this family, What else can I do? You are part of this family. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. So let me put it this way. Because you are family, and because God is your refuge, because I am His servant, I'm here to issue that refuge. Because you were offered adoption and you took it, This is part of that adoption. The moment you said yes to that husband of yours and stayed with him even after he died and chose to stay in this family, I'm part of this family. I am part of the benefit package of you saying yes to that man before in that last decade. And now because you've decided to stay in this family, this is part of the benefit. I'm going to look after you if you'll let me. Please let me. The Bible tells us, by the way, that God has not given us again the spirit again of bondage to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, "Daddy, Abba, Father." Romans eight fifteen. Do you realize that the moment you said yes to Jesus? you got a benefits package and part of that benefits package package is that you were adopted by a new father. The father that happens to be the almighty. And he has called now you to this benefits package where you get to actually. And he says, come and be near me. Come and dwell with me and be near me. Come and be safe. Come and be refreshed. Man, I have this for you. This is what comes with being part of the family. Welcome to the family. Verse 13, she actually says, well, then let me have it. Then let me, she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord. Notice she calls him Lord. If we are going to receive the benefits package that God offers us, we have to be willing to let him be the boss. We can't demand from God when he has a better plan for us than we could come up with. For you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I'm not like one of your maidservants. Boaz, now we read, starts to show greater than just come and be part of the family here. I want your love. Now, remind you, what if we're the servant of Boaz? Listen to what we find. Verse 13, then, or verse 14, Boaz said to her at mealtime. Now, that means she's stuck around till dinner. He says, come here. And eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and passed, he passed the parched grain to her. And she ate and was satisfied and she kept some back. He declares, come even closer still. Don't just be a part of the family. Be an intimate part of the family. Come here with me now and be satisfied. So she comes closer. And I remind you, sweatier, dirtier. She still comes and she is strengthened, we read, and she is satisfied and she has abundance so that she can share with others. All comes from coming closer. But something else happens, too, is that he invites her into fellowship with others. Though she's a foreigner, you can imagine her sitting at a table by herself because there wasn't a Moabite's table there that we read. And he looks, he's like, no, 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 no. You are too far away. Come and sit with us. Come and sit at the table with those that know they belong because I'm inviting you to that table too. Could you imagine? In David's day, Before David became king of Israel, his enemy was the incumbent king prior to him, Saul. And Saul had a son who was David's best friend who would be killed in battle with Saul. Traditionally, when a king takes the throne from another king of another family, he wipes out all of that family. Of the other king's family so that no one can rise up and try to claim an old lineage. There was one child of David's best friend who, by the way, mind you, was a grandson to Saul, David's enemy. Who, by the way, in fleeing, his maid dropped him as a baby. And as a result of that, he was lame, unable to walk. They didn't have the technology we have today. If those bones are broken, they're just going to stay broken. They weren't even set. And that boy grows up unable to walk. After Saul passes away, one would expect him to exterminate all of Saul's household, especially since his best friend had passed away. But David does something else instead. David takes that grandson of Saul And has him carried to David's table. And this guy is freaking out. I mean, you're going to be carried to the presence of the king. You kind of know he's going to probably kill you. This is for your grandpa. And he, to be honest, would not have only expected it. It was protocol. But David said instead, come here and be part of our family. Come and sit and feast at our table for the rest of your life. I want you to be part of our family. And I can't help but think, isn't that us? We were of the descendants of God's own enemies. We were enemies by our own behavior. And because of the fall, we were unable to come ourselves. But God, in His tremendous love for us, had us carried there and said, come, be a part of my family now. Come, be with me. Be near. Be safe. Be refreshed. And then when we come and we look around the table, what we discover is there were a lot of other people just like us carried to the table. And we have this tremendous fellowship all of a sudden. We look and think we all should go to hell, but we're not going. Because our King is kind. That's really why. So he says, come here. But he invites her into union, sopping together together would be a cause of union. This is why Jesus stops with Judas and Judas then departs. Jesus offers, if you will, one last chance, but Judas instead chooses union with the enemy instead of with Jesus. But it gets beyond this. Verse 15. When she rose up to glean then, because now she's going to glean even for a couple more hours, Boaz commanded his young men say let her glean even among the sheaves in other words don't let her just pick up the scraps let her be with the girls as they're doing it too and don't reproach her also let the grain from the bundles fall purposely for her leave it that she may glean and don't rebuke her and, and by the way and it says then so she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned now now don't miss this what he is doing shows that the guy is in love. And the reason I say that is, he's taking out his wallet. And when a guy starts taking out his wallet, you know something in him is serious. Because what he's doing is, he's doing what's really bad for business, but good for her. What he says is, look it, I want you guys to get sloppy. Now traditionally what happened is, as, a, as such a when any of the grains grew, they took a sickle, cut it like this, and then bound it up, and that was a sheath. And then you took that and you threw it on a cart and you took the next one and you cut it, you bound it, you did so. And what he's saying is, I want you to get loose with those sheaves. I want you to kind of cut it, but don't really gather them all and kind of leave them for And then just kind of throw some, you know, they don't really, don't get it all. And notice he doesn't just say because for everyone, what he's like, but for her, for her. He leaves these sheaves of blessings for her. Now, if you think about life honestly, and if our eyes are open the way they should be, walking with Jesus, you'll find He does this for us every day. We use this term sheaves of blessing. Oh, I found another sheave today. There you were. I mean, and sometimes it's as simple as all of a sudden you realize you, you, you have something that you have to pay for, and you know you don't have any money in your wallet, and you open up, and all of a sudden there's a 20. And you're like, where in the world did that come from? You realize you kind of left it. Sometimes it's a call from a friend in a moment when you really need it. Sometimes it's just this radical whatever it is. I mean, it could be as little as and still profound in moments. Like last night, my wife, who doesn't like to run, we're trying to get home after we had this beautiful double date with another couple. And it was just really a sweet time. And we're like, oh my goodness, you know, the, the train should arrive. You know, we have to catch a, a connecting train that we know will take us home. It'll be in four minutes, but the train to get there is supposed to be in five. We know we won't get it, and the train arrives early. And then we look, and the train is again. We go, oh my goodness, and we kind of come around the corner, and here comes my wife trotting. Man, it was just a great thing to watch. Look at that girl go, and she's coming around that corner. And I look, and the train just pulls in, and off we walk right onto the train, and it closes, and we go. No, no, you could miss those things and think that there's some kind of cool coincidence, or you could realize that your romantic God is leaving sheaves for you to stumble upon just to show you that he cares. Sometimes it's really hot and God gives you rain. Sometimes it's really cold and God breaks out the sun. Today we had all of those things. But it's easy to miss because often what it is, is it's the trace of something, not just giant bundles falling on your head. So it's easy to miss, but there are these beautiful moments. And I guarantee you, if our eyes are open every day, we're going to stumble upon one after another after another, if we're willing to stay in God's field. If we're willing to keep our eyes on the Lord and say, you know what, Lord? I am going to walk with you all day today. No matter where we go, I'm going to walk with you today and I'm going to be conscious of you and my eyes are going to be upon you and say, Lord, take care of me. You do it the way you want to do it. I trust you. And it is amazing. Sometimes it is really something big and profound. It's the restoration of a relationship you never thought could be restored or it's something that God brings back and you're like, how in the world did this happen? And you clearly know it's the Lord. But it's those little things we often miss and they're happening all the time. And you look and you're like, oh my goodness, God, you are so profoundly good. So profoundly good. Now, I don't know if Ruth is aware of where this is coming from. Because notice, he didn't tell Ruth, Ruth, I'm going to leave all of these things and make my guys get sloppy so you can clean up behind them. What he just, I mean, he told people so that they could leave it so she could stumble upon them. So that she could just be like, this is a really great field. I, need, I do need to stay here. And you realize what he's doing by doing that, because he's already said, please stay in my field. Please stay here with me. As he's giving her every reason to stay. But hey, there are other mangy, nasty fields out there full of weeds and poison. And you can run after those things and try to find solutions there and try to find peace and try to find hope and try to find love. And what you are going to find are things that are terrible counterfeits that on the outside look like it long enough for you to buy the product and then hate the fact you did. Meanwhile, the Lord's going, please stay with me. You don't need to go out and get wasted anymore. You don't need to go out and find somebody that doesn't know me. You don't need to go out and chase after empty things that have nothing to do with me. Please stay with me. You'll be satisfied and have abundance to share. You'll be refreshed. You'll be safe. Please stay with me. I'm going to paint the sky tomorrow for you so that when you look out the window, you're going to see colors that you forgot existed. I did it for you. I'm going to grow wildflowers beside you, outside your window. Peek out there and look. I did it because of you. I'm going to create a song. I'm going to write a song and I'm going to teach it to the birds and they're going to sing it to you tomorrow so that when you get up, you have a song to hear. I did that for you. And each of those things are one point removed from Him directly so you could stumble upon Him and you have the choice to say, is this really my God? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So, that girl started in the morning and the more she knew Boaz, the better her life got. The more Boaz was in her life, the better her life got. And so it says then in verse 17, and look at that with me, it says, she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. Now don't you just go, oh my goodness, an ephah. Right? No, because you don't, know, when was the last time you used that term ephah ever? Maybe you were like, isn't Isaiah's brother, ephah? No, listen. An ephah is roughly 22 liters of barley. And she beat it out. You know what that means that she beat it out? This isn't like she just took everything. You know, like when you buy a T-bone steak, And you realize that most of it's the bone. You buy a good leg of lamb, but somehow it was a big boned lamb. And you realize you can't eat the bone. She beat it out, which means that this is all just the grain now. This is the stuff you eat. And she comes out with 22 liters. Do you realize how much that is? Do you realize that the blood in your body is not even a third of that? To give you an idea, do you realize that the weight of 22 liters of barley, 4.84 gallons, by the way, weighs about 10 and a quarter kilograms, or if you will, 24 and a quarter pounds. This good strong woman has to come home. This is, by the way, what she has to take home. This isn't what she's eating today. This is what she takes home. More than 10 kilos of grain to her mom, her mother-in-law. Could you imagine? Now, how do you fit that in your apron to take back with you? And who knows how far that is away, but she's carrying 10 kilos with her. <laughs> you realize that is, that is half the maximum weight allowance for an airport piece of luggage. Well... Verse 18, she took it up and went into the city. And her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. And imagine, her mother's like, what? And she brought it out and gave it to her, what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. So she takes from it, and they both partake of it. And her mother-in-law said to you, where? Where on earth have you gleaned today? Where did you get this? kind of?" Which tells us that this was obviously a lot, not just for us, but for, for mom, too. I remind you, mother's from Bethlehem. You imagine saying, it's sort of like coming back, you know, like most people have been, have been catching little guppies, you know. And you come back with a whale. They're like, where did you go fishing? So she comes after this and she's like, where in the world did you go? Whose field was this from? Where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law Whom she had worked with this day. She goes, the man in which I worked with today, I don't know, is like like, like Bobo, Bozo, Bono. What was his name? Boaz, Boaz, Boaz. Boaz was his name. And the mom goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Naomi says to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and to the dead. Do you realize what just took place between the end of chapter one and chapter two? The end of chapter one, she says, call me bitter because the almighty has dealt bitterly with me. Now, she says, blessed be the Lord and he of the Lord because he's shown kindness to me. And what happened in between? A foreign girl went out and God didn't forget about any of them. Naomi says to her, "This man is a, releva- a He is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. And all of a sudden, Mara becomes blessed. 21, Ruth the Moabitess said, "Well, he also said to me, "You shall stay close by my young men until they've finished all my harvest." That tells us all of the harvest begins again." At the barley, and ends with the wheat. That's three and a half months. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and that the people do not meet you on, in any other field. She's like, do you realize how dangerous it is for you to be out there with a bunch of other foreigners, people who are kind of coming and going? Do you realize what that crowd's like? Do you know how dangerous it is for a girl to do that? You, in other words, what she recognizes is that this girl is safe there. So she stayed close with the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And she dwelt with her mother-in-law. This is what her mom says. Don't wander. Because wandering from this place is wandering from the protection and the provision and the pleasure of the field you're in. And in this field, you have fellowship and abundance. Stay close and in fellowship with the hero. You can be here for all of the harvests. Don't wander. Listen, beloved, as we go to prayer now. This is what the Lord would want to tell you tonight as well. Don't wander. Don't wander into the world and in the other field in a way where somehow you're going to try to get maybe like, you know, and, and I remember when I was first saved, I remember my whole concept was, well, God, he's like sort of for saving, you know, he's, so I get to go to heaven. But now i got to figure out this world. What do I do until I die? How do I make something of myself now? As if you sort of, okay, now that that's taken care of, it's like life insurance. You kind of tuck it on the shelf and make sure that it's maintained and now I try to find the things that are relative till now. But listen, you will never find satisfaction anywhere in the world. We didn't find it before we came to the Lord until we found Him. And you can't just put Him on the shelf. He demands to be the Lord of all of our life. And He says, look it, now plant yourself and make yourself at home here. And what you're going to find ultimately is that this girl is going to live in this field. This is her field. She just doesn't even know it yet. This is where she belongs. But she's like, I don't belong here. I don't belong here because I'm a foreigner. This is for like your people and and he's like well let me just say this i want you here i want you here and i want you safe and i want you refreshed and i want you blessed and i want you so in abundant that even the needy people that know you will be able to be refreshed by you Even the hopeless people, the people who at one point were happy, the people at one point really did seem to have hope. Now those same people, they're crushed and they're, and they're deflated and they're diminutized and they seem so empty and depleted. And it's like, look, I'm going to fill you with such abundance that when you go near them, They're gonna find hope again. And, and some people, you know some people, that, you know, it seemed like they were really cool at one point and now they're Mara. They're, ah, I'm bitter. You don't understand. God dealt me a rough hand because I told God this and He didn't do it or whatever. And you realize that and you're like, look at, stay in the field. Because you see, stay in the field and the Lord fills you to overflowing. Know what's gonna happen. You're gonna go, wow. Whose field are you in that your life is like this? Don't wander. You're going to be going out from this church here in a moment, this building, but the church isn't this building. You can spend the rest of your life in intimacy with your great strength. And your strength is the Lord. In the Psalms 94.13 it says, He who was planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of our God. See, God doesn't just want you to survive. He wants you to thrive. But for that to happen, you can't wander. What would happen if Ruth spent the next week somewhere else and then came back? Well, she might find it again. She might find that favor again. But that would be days wasted where she could have had them in total refreshment and abundance. Why would you want to spend one day out of that field? Because it was more than just barley or wheat. It was safety and it was fellowship. I mean, Boaz tells her, you know, there are a bunch of other girls here that you might want to hang out with. They're really cool. And what's really cool is they didn't look at her and say, oh, you're a Moabitess. They're like, you know what? As far as I'm concerned, you were adopted the moment you said yes and you stayed adopted. You wanted to make sure that that was still your cause. You know, you stayed. What's clear is that adoption was real. So you're part of the family. Let's enjoy the field together. Now tonight I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what challenges are before you, but I'm here to let you know that my God wants tonight to overcome you with peace. And tonight He wants to change. He wants to change that beggarly, you know, outsider heart that you may have. I want you to feel part of a family. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, purifies us from all unrighteousness. Purity and fellowship. How cool is that? But that's the choice you need to make. But God is not to be segmented It isn't like this part of my life, God gets. The rest of it, that's for me. Because if that's the case, you're not living in the field. He needs to have it all. And that's the prayer I want to pray tonight for myself. And you're welcome to be just as crazy and foolhardy, if you will, or whatever, rambunctious, or if you will, just full of faith to say amen with me. But tonight, I don't want there to be any area of my life God doesn't touch. That God isn't Lord over. I want to live in His field. That's where the harvest is. Pray with me, would you please? Lord, I want to thank You so much for this beautiful text. And now as we see, Lord, that there is a hero to the story. And that hero... Is clearly capable. He qualifies. He is clearly able. He has abundance. But what we see is he's willing. And what we've yet to see in the next couple chapters is what would stand in the way and what needs to be overcome. And I pray tonight that You would conquer our wandering hearts. Not cage them where we are constantly looking out, but conquer them. And I recognize that the unknown world out there that's so full of vice and corruption and impurity and bondage and helplessness and hopelessness, I don't even understand why there's a curiosity that's intrigued and even drawn to, to investigate it. But I pray that you would conquer that in our hearts even tonight. God, that there would be nothing that would crave that nonsense. That you would conquer my wandering heart and in that, let my heart crave only you and what is yours may I not only be content to stay in the field, may I be overjoyed and amazed that I get to stay in the field. Because I really don't belong there other than Your grace. And I could never afford to. But then there's Your grace. So tonight in this room, as I recognize Jesus, You paid the price on the cross for my sins I was once alienated from the promises a foreigner in my heart and of the camp of Your enemy. And yet, You've offered to pay my price. And at the cross, all of my guilt was vanquished. And at Your resurrection, You offer me a brand new life. To dwell with you. All the days of my life. And I invite you into all of the parts of my life. My identities, my dreams, my priorities. Overcome it all. And tonight. Transform me. To a person. Who is absolutely yours. As I should be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Lord, you take us seriously. You hear our hearts now. Bid us, you've given us every reason to stay. Now may we do so. Make us people who love loving you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for the privilege of being able to serve you in the Word and the honor of being your pastor. I want to encourage you tonight, love on each other. Get to know those who are in the field with you. Enjoy sweet fellowship with them. And may the Lord open up your eyes tonight and mine too to the sheaves of blessings He has ordained already ahead of you tonight that you're going to stumble across. God bless you. Enjoy your night.